everyone. I'm Amanda Borsal Dan, and welcome to Times Will Tell, the weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. This week, I'm speaking with the brains and brawn behind the hit web series Yid Life Crisis, Ellie Battalion and Jamie Elman. In a love letter to their hometown of Montreal, the two secular Jews schmooze and nosh their way in and out of uncomfortable situations born of their own twisted minds. The very modern, very Jewish series is filmed mostly in Yiddish and filled with food, sex, atheism, and a dash of parental guilt. Guest stars have included Mayim Bialik and Howie Mandel. I caught up with the guys in a cross-continental Zoom to find out what they're up to now. Enjoy. Hi, guys. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Jamie. Where am I finding you today? Home. Where else? You're finding uh, one of us in Montreal and the other in Los Angeles, but we're not going to say which one. You have to guess. That's fine. And it's good that your names are labeled in your little Zoom window, so I, I might have a bit of a hint. So, Ellie, thanks for telling us you're in Montreal. And Jamie, where are you today? I'm in L.A. <laughs> Excellent. So we're here to talk about your program and all your various activities with Yid Life Crisis. And I have to say, when I announced to the editorial meeting today that I was going to speak with you, my boss said, say no more, Yid Life Crisis. It's brilliant. Save it. Just tell me nothing more. I don't need anything besides the title. So you've already hooked him. So for my boss and the few, you know, the handful of others who may not have heard of you guys, can you give me a very brief, uh, just a summary of what you guys are doing, essentially, and how it started? Do you have six hours? Uh, first of all, that's very daring of you to ask us to do something that's very brief. But um, yeah, what, what, what is she talking about? She's clearly never met a Jew before. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Let's try to do it on one leg. Um, Yid Life Crisis is a project that uh, Jamie and I began uh, about six years ago. Although Jamie helped me do the arithmetic here, it might even be we might even be in the sabbatical at this point. Uh, the Shemitah year. The Shemitah. Very shmiti year. Yeah, we, uh, we are. Um, we, we call. We actually. Sorry, we call it the schnitzel year. Uh, not the shmata year. No, not the shmata year. <laughs> schnitzel year. No, no, yeah. that that was last. That was last year. You got to <laughs> keep track. This is the year of the shmita. Uh, in any case, we started a, a while back, and the idea behind it was basically to pay homage to the Yiddishkeit in and around us in Montreal. Uh, we actually grew up. Uh, going to a high school that taught the Yiddish language, which was quite unique. But of course, we're very secular Jews, so it wasn't like a Hasidic form of Yiddish. Uh, but we have a bunch of different uh, Yiddish-based institutions in Montreal. Montreal is kind of a sort of a last bastion for Yiddish, one of the few out there in the world. Uh, so we thought we'd pay tribute to that while at the same time paying tribute to our icons in Jewish comedy that we all, all, always respected and thought that, in fact, their own attitudes uh, you know, people like Sid Caesar and Mel Brooks were actually infused by the thinking of Yiddish comedians. So this was basically the, the premise behind it. And with that uh, desire to be artistic, we also had the desire to be uh, Canadian comedy peacekeepers, as it were, and to try to uh, build bridges uh, between the Jewish community and other communities, but also, as you well know, within the Jewish community, uh, where there are certain divisions and be able to use comedy to sort of disarm some of those divisions. That's the shortest I've ever said it. <sighs> so I, of course, prepared for this interview by re-watching several of the episodes. And uh, there's a lot of food involved, a lot of sex, 
a lot of atheism and, you know, a fair amount of guilt as well. Tell me, first of all, about the food, Jamie. How It seems like in every single episode, you guys are noshing and just going to town on something. Well, it goes to the uh, origins of the project, which was that we got a grant from the Jewish Community Foundation in Montreal um, to make something um, fun and Jewish uh, that sort of celebrates Montreal Jewry in some way. I mean, that wasn't necessarily specifically said, but that was sort of the vibe we got from from what the grant was and what we could do maybe. And so um, it early on evolved into a sort of love letter to how we grew up Jewish in Montreal. And Montreal is is very much a foodie city, an international eating city and an international uh, culinary city. So that was so Jews and food already go together, but Montreal and food also grows, you know, very strongly together. And part of the the food culture of Montreal that's sort of become internationally known, the bagels, the smoked meat is from Jewish stuff. So basically when we started writing the show, which was, um, oh, Rabbi Jesus Christ. Ellie, I think that was December, 2013. When I flew into uh, Montreal and we sat at the second cup there in the dead of winter and um, wrote the first draft there. Um, you know, yeah. The Shemitah indeed. It's sick. It's sickitating. Uh, anyway, so the point is we we decided we were going to do, for the first season, we were going to write four episodes. Like the, with the money they gave us, we figured, okay, we can, you know, I'm, I'm condensing a longer story here, but we're going to do four episodes. And so we'll, we'll use food in each of these episodes somehow because it's part of the Montreal love letter. And then as we started, you know, thinking about it more, we realized that each of these foods is sort of going to be representative of something that we were doing. So in the first episode, it wasn't Jewish food, it was just sort of the iconic Montreal food, which is poutine, which is really- With the sauce iconic. on the side, obviously. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, well, no, no one does that. Jews don't do that. Um, and no one does that. Um, but, uh, uh, so we, we started with the poutine. We realized this, this is going to be, we're going to, we're going to get into, um, you know, kashrut is going to be a good thing to talk about with, with, with poutine, you know, and then, uh, because it's goes to milk and meat, but all Jews eat it, you know, and then in the other episodes, we, we talk about smoked meat. We talk about bagels. Eventually we talk about Greek food, which is to get into sort of the other ethnic foods and communities of Montreal and how we relate to them and this kind of thing. So, Food was a big part of the show, sort of uh, uh, as a as a metaphorical thing, as well as as a tribute to Montreal thing from the beginning. Really nice, and so sex really appears quite uh, centrally in many of the episodes, especially the one matzah in a sex shop. That's what I called it. I, I don't know what you guys called it, the matzah in the sex shop uh, episode, in which uh, you just chowing down on the matzah, wearing this teddy and, and a leather. Uh, I don't even know what it is that shows how old and prudish I am, I guess, but a, a leather thing that has such quality leather, it had to come from Alberta, which is wonderful line, obviously. So in that particular episode, you had you know the sex and then the sex, uh, the master student who was uh, studying sex. And then the big, you know, obviously, okay, spoiler alert, the big, uh, I don't know, 
twist to the story was the Chabad, <laughs> the Chabad guy who was trying to get you to lay tefillin, also nice Alberta leather. And then he had a boyfriend and they were, you know, kissing during the episode. I just thought that was wonderful in such a twist. And a twisted mind would come up with that as well. So how did you even think about the, having the gay Chabad uh, tefillin pushers? Oh, haven't we all thought about that? <laughs> we were just the only ones to act on it. Have you guys put a tefillin today? Yes, I forgot. <laughs> well, it, it's not too late. Let's do this. Anu, you? Now, why in the name of Christopher Hitchens, Oliver Shalom, would I do that? You seem very embarrassed about being a member of the tribe. Are you embarrassed to honor your parents? To care for the sick, for the ill? To sustain our planet? Yeah. That's not the problem. You see, uh, my issue is with religious dogma, frankly. So, uh, you know, you guys talk a big game, but I know that all you want to do is get me to, to, to put these weird things for what? Why, exactly? It's simple. Avos Hashem. Love. As it is written, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. With a mighty hand did he lead us out of the land of Egypt. We lay a physical representation of God's love. What's embarrassing about love? Nothing. But you see, you, you guys say all that, and then you judge everyone else. Free your mind, man. Free your mind. Let, 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 me, let, me, explain, let me explain to this guy a little something here. Gay Chabad fill-in pushers. The Ellie Battalion story. <laughs> by the way, by the way, laying Tvillin could have been another name for the episode. It was actually yes. called Coming Out of Bondage. Uh, for uh, obvious reasons, or not so obvious, it was actually our Passover episode. <coughs> yes. And uh, but but by the way, sorry, so I know I keep interrupting. It was lay, laying leather was the first title you came up with, I think. That it, that is true. That is true. There was also uh, Leatherman, but that didn't really. That's work right. As well. <laughs> Anyways, right. call it what you will. Uh, matzahs on the kiss, uh, eating matzahs in the sex shop. Call it what you will. It's still the same content. Uh, it's actually interesting. And there's a, a fun Israel tie to how we came up with this episode, in fact, because uh, after we had created uh, the web series for the first time, done our first season, the very first place that we were invited to talk, because this is a lot of what we do nowadays, was actually Jerusalem. Uh, there was a conference called uh, uh, Jokes for Jews. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Sorry, what was it, Jamie? What was the actual name yeah. of the conference? Why am I forgetting it? The Comedy for Change. Comedy for Change. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it actually took uh, place uh, at the, the Cinematheque in, in Jerusalem. And it was a really super festival. Uh, it was partially put together by the Schusterman Foundation. That's been a, a big supporter of, of stuff that we do. Where uh, basically comedy was being discussed in the context of the type of uh, impact and change it can make. And obviously, in terms of what we were doing with bridge building, we were uh, a fairly natural choice for that. After doing that in Jerusalem, we made our way to Tel Aviv because that Tel Aviv is our Jerusalem, you know, like that's our religious site, right? Um, so we went to Tel Aviv and realized we should probably film ourselves. We started filming our own exploration of Tel Aviv in something that's now become called Global Shtetl, which you can find on our website, yidlifecrisis.com, uh, which is uh, uh, basically documentaries of us going through different Jewish communities of the world and sort of uh, comparing and contrasting them. And in our fifth episode of Global Shtetl, we actually went to Gava. We went to the Pride Parade in Jerusalem, uh, in Tel Aviv, excuse me, because it happened to be at that time. And while we were going there, 
the very first thing that we caught was Chabadniks by the beach that were asking people to put on tefillin while people were walking by in nothing but thongs, if that. And so there was something very ironic in this notion of the idea of being in leather bondage through Chabad in and around the Gava parade, which blew our minds. I mean, it's obviously a massive, massive event, uh, quite colorful to say the least. And so that was sort of uh, the basis for one portion of what we wanted to get across in Coming Out of Bondage, which was an episode that was really, I mean, yes, focused on sex, but uh, sexual liberation, freedom, tolerance, uh, a lot of the themes that, in fact, you find at an abstract level in Passover. So hence the twisted minds and the twisted journey to making that episode. Uh, that's wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about the atheism slash secularism of your your plot line, if not your personas, at least your personalities, your inner selves. I don't know. But in any case, uh, as you've mentioned, uh, Yiddish is mostly found today in a religious setting around the world. The Jews who speak it are generally religious by this point because our grandparents' generation is, you know, passing on and their parents obviously are already left and your parents may have spoken it to hide things from you, but your generation, even if you come from a, a family of Yiddish speakers, no longer really fluently speak it. And it's only really found in these religious settings. So bringing out the secularism slash atheism into the Yiddish is just this wonderful paradox. Talk a little bit about that. We should probably start by saying that, um, you know, we learned Yiddish in a secular context, uh, which is a rare thing, but um, it does happen sometimes. And we learned Yiddish uh, at Bialik High School in Montreal. So they taught Yiddish to us. And Ellie actually went to the elementary school, too, called JPPS, Jewish Peoples and Parrots Schools, you know, like parrots. And like Yudlamid parrots. Um, and, um, and that school is a secular, uh, you know, it's part of the Jewish day school system in Montreal where there are Orthodox Jewish schools. There are more conservative Jewish schools that teach Tanakh and Talmud and stuff like that. But Bialik was a secular Zionist Yiddishist tradition. Um, so, uh, so, you know, first of all, we came out of, out of that. And, and some people, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of surprising to hear that because they associate the Yiddish with uh, the ultra Orthodox, but we, we came to it sort of not even connecting to that at all. You know, it was only when I strayed out into the city, into Outremont, into the neighborhood that the, um, that the uh, Hasidim live in Montreal, that it was like, oh yeah, that's Yiddish too. <laughs> um, you know, and we just read it uh, Shalom Aleichem in school, but these people are actually speaking it um, out there on the street. So you learned it like Latin in a way. Uh, it was something you studied in school, a deadish pig, language. Pig Latin. Yeah. <laughs> Chazer Latin. Sure, Chazer Latin is good. But, but the thing is, um, <laughs> no one speaks conversational Latin in the world, like basically period. Whereas Jews do speak conversational Yiddish. It's just that those are Hasidic Jews. Yes, there we would then discover that there are pockets of hipsters in various places like Berlin and New York and they, you know, where they where they can converse in secular Bundist anarchist Yiddish. And you've probably written some articles on uh, those uh, friends or acquaintances or colleagues of ours too. 
But um, in terms of the uh, the atheism that you're asking about, the secularism that you're asking about, yes, one of the ideas was, okay, so going back to this grant that I mentioned a few minutes ago was this um, from the Jewish Community Foundation of Montreal. One of the mandates of the grant was try and whatever artistic Jewish project you're going to do, try and reach out to the non-Jews of the city somehow. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> My interpretation of that at some point, I guess, when Ellie and I were, were coming up with the show was like, oh, well, a great angle on the Yiddish here is that because Ellie was the first one that said, Let, let's just do something in Yiddish because he knew that we could do that together because we went to this high school. I think what really excited me early on was the idea that um, we're going to go use Yiddish in a conversational way like the Hasidim do in a part of town where the French Canadians hear Yiddish and see that, but instead they'll see us being just total, you know, chazers and just eating treif and just uh, being disgusting and uh, not immature and, and not pious. It was the opposite of pious. And I think I got excited about that. And, and you know, who knows how much of it is... Uh, it is as true as I thought it was when we first started, you know, where we have a bit of a more sophisticated understanding of the Yiddish landscape now. But at the time, it was it seemed sort of uh, uh, fun and controversial. I don't know what the word is here, edgy or something to go use Yiddish in the very neighborhood that the Hasidim live and speak and but use it in this totally secular atheist way, which is basically what I am, what we are. I won't speak for Ellie too much, but you know, we're, we're not Hasidic Jews, clearly. And even in that episode where he's playing the more traditionalist, the more observant Jew, he ultimately does break the, uh, the thing. And, you know, that was also our way of going to the main, one of the, one of the main themes of Yid Life Crisis, which is hypocrisy. And we wanted to use the Yiddish in some ways to sort of say that you associate Yiddish, you, the non-Jewish world, and even many Jews associate Yiddish with our most pious people. But we're here to say that Yiddish can be used by complete non-pious people, anti-religious people, and we'll even say that the ultra-Orthodox people have plenty of hypocrisy in there too. So Yiddish is not a religious language. That was like our reclam re reclaiming or something, our personal recla reclamation of the Yiddish. I love that. Um, another theme, of course, is guilt, because, uh, you know, in every episode, you're always referencing, it seems to me, at least your parents or your grandparents, or what will the elders say? I, I don't know the name, <laughs> the word in Yiddish, but especially that was I found it. it uh, Elteren, right, exactly. I found it striking in, you mentioned that you went to the school Bialik, but the episode in which uh, Mayim Bialik uh, starred next to you guys, in which you were set up by your mothers, which is a very interesting idea for, you know, two secular people, or I suppose she's actually playing uh, in real life as well, more of a traditional person, but you're set up by your mothers and you're sitting in this restaurant and pretending that she can't understand Yiddish. And, and in the end, obviously, everyone is understanding Yiddish. Tan blazer, blue glasses, chaya, laser, Sorry, I'm late. Um, I don't have a lot of time. I have to be back at the hospital in an hour. Yes, my mother told me that your mother told her that you're a neurosurgeon. Very impressive. <laughs> your mother didn't mention what you do. Freelance? Your mommy, uh, is erotic. 
Sie ist nicht für dich, sie ist für mich. Ja, Verschwind, Mama. Ich habe von mir zwei Schmänderiges, die meinen, dass ich nicht genetisch bin und Pater in unserer Zeit. But the idea of the parents and the Älteren, are, it's like a leitmotiv throughout the whole series. Would you agree with me? Yeah, it's, it's, it's there in the background the whole time. I mean, it's interesting because we don't actually see them. But uh, the implication of them and, and their parents, in fact, and our, our, our forefathers and foremothers uh, are definitely there the whole time. I mean, the whole idea is this notion of a certain, you can call it guilt, an accountability, a responsibility to honor our past while trying to navigate life in the modern day. I think that's basically like at the heart of what Yid Life Crisis is. Hence the term Yid Life Crisis, which is an identity crisis of trying to mix what we're trying to do to honor our past or contextualize our past to the way that we're you know, designed to live in the modern 21st century. So uh, they're, they're very much there. They very much uh, affect uh, our attitudes uh, throughout the whole series. But it, it is actually interesting um, how they're not, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the Big Bang Theory, which I don't actually watch, but, uh, but we're talking about Maya Bialik. Uh, is it well, Howard Wolowitz, whose mother uh, yells at him from downstairs? I, there was a character, everyone else will know this who watches the show. But the point is that the parent is there, but you don't see the parent because they're just yelling and they serve as a presence. Anyways, that's, that's kind of like metaphorically what's happening in Yidlep Crisis. Although I do think it would be great to uh, hook up with some great Yiddish stars and have them play our parents at some point. But let's say that's uh, for the next project. Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. So what is happening now that we're all struck by the COVID-19 pandemic? What are, what are you guys doing right now? Oh, very glad you asked. Actually, um, well, we um, we we uh, we had to pivot. TM, the word of twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, we uh, well, the the we, we, like Ellie said earlier, we we've our bread and butter over the last few years has been performing live. Um, you know, because we uh, we 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 started with that first time getting invited to show our stuff. And then that sort of set us off on this path of bringing our, uh, schmearing our Narishkeit uh, to the world. Um, then when the pandemic hit, uh, a few shows were canceled and we were on Spilkes like everybody else. And then, of course, the Jewish world um, threw it into gear, as we have for the last 5,000 years, and um, and moved online. So that's what we did, too. So we've been performing our a version of our live show um, online. We call it Virtually Jewish. And uh, sometimes it's pre-recorded, sometimes it's live. I mean, the, the, the good thing about the pandemic, if there is anything, obviously, is that, um, you know, the Zoom phenomenon and, uh, you know, has, has allowed us to connect to places and venues that we maybe wouldn't have gone before or that would have been harder to get to. For example, we're finally doing our first show for the Sydney, Australia, 
Jewish community in May. We've been talking about going there for years. We've had invitations for years, but it's just hard to coordinate a big trip like that. So we're finally doing it. They just sent us Qantas pajamas that we're going to wear as we do our uh, live Q&A with them in bed from the middle of the night uh, where we are. So, you know, we're finding ways around it. Um, and to shamelessly plug, which is something that we also wanted to do with you and that we, uh, we, we can't help but do. We are uh, promo sexual, if you will. Forgive us. But, um, this is why we appreciate it. The shame <laughs> dunk, um, is that, um, you know, as we've embraced the virtual entertainment world, um, we we find ourselves doing more interesting and trying to be more creative about how to do it. So we came up with a show that we did for JNF Canada. They asked us to um, to do something because they, uh, you know, JNF is a big organization in Canada. They do big fundraising for uh, Israeli projects, um, and they raise a lot of their money by doing these big Negev dinners they're called the the Negev galas and they weren't going to make them this year because how are we going to do it so they they asked us to put together the show and we put together a JNF gala virtual tour to Israel so it's like it's all done with our green screens like you could see the curtains behind me now and stuff like that and we do a virtual e-trip to Israel where we run into various friends such as Lior Raz who we run into in Jerusalem and Howie Mandel, we run into at uh, Dr. Shakshuka and Father Colin Mockery, if you know him from the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? That's a big uh, comedy show here and uh, whatever. And he's a fellow Canadian. We, we interview the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, who's been uh, supporting JNF for a while. And the show ends with a really great performance by David Broza. So that's uh, something we wanted to plan. And so that was a, uh, something we did for them, but we've now just put out for the month of Adar to try and cheer up everybody because, hey, everybody could use a little laughter and smiles during the dark days of winter and the pandemic's still going and the vaccines aren't here yet. So um, we put it out online to everyone. It's out now. We, we're calling the show Adarable. Get it? Because, you know, it's for Adar. I don't get it. Okay, it's a Hebrew calendar month called. Never mind, I'll tell you later. What? Um, and, okay, and um, and so that's uh, up on our YouTube channel now for free for everybody to watch. And you know we're doing a bunch of other um, shows online. So uh, I don't know, maybe we'll. And actually, I guess I could say we just booked our first in-person show for the fall. We've gotten invited to Frankfurt, uh, Germany, where we've wanted to play for a long time. And to us, you can imagine that going to perform Yiddish comedy in Germany has been high on our list all along. So even though it's still a weird new world and we don't know how exactly it's all going to go down between now and then, we're we're hoping to get back on the road and continue the Schmierathon. That sounds really... Um Emotional. I can imagine going to Germany and speaking uh, Yiddish on stage live in person. So I hope to hear about that in the future. And I uh, really appreciate the time that you gave me. Thank you. Yofi. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms. Mm-hmm.